Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts. Plano, Texas. Hello, Brian. Hello there. I've got a question about paint matching. I'm trying to uh, redo some bedrooms and got maybe 15-year-old paint in there. Don't have any of the old paint buckets have been thrown out, so I don't have any uh, brands or, you know, paint codes. Right. Uh, what, do the box stores or do I need to go to a more professional uh, place to get take a paint chip? Or anyway, what's your what's your overall uh, thoughts on that? You know, I normally personally go to a regular paint store. The, I will tell you though, the box stores do have the equipment for doing color match. Uh, like if you go to Lowe's, they have Valspar paint. Uh, and prior to Valspar being in low stores, I used to use Valspar some, uh, and it it was a great paint. I haven't used it since Lowe's took it. I'm normally uh, either using Sherwin Williams or Kelly Moore type paint, but all of them will have the color matching equipment. Okay. Right. Now so, the one key thing when you're buying paint, don't buy the cheap paint. You know, you can get stuff that's you know thirteen and fifteen dollars a gallon. It's not going to last. You need to get a paint that typically you're going to be looking at you know thirty to fifty bucks a gallon to have the good stuff. And the main difference is, like you just said, fifteen years. You buy the cheap stuff, you're going to be repainting again in three to five. You buy the good stuff, you get the fifteen years out of it. Okay. And, and bedrooms are typically the, the sheen on it. That's a that's a satin. Uh, uh, most of the time, it's flat. Or flat. Uh, you, okay, you, flat. You can go with satin, but uh, most of the time, it, it's it's flat. It's going to depend on the texture and and uh, you know the imperfections. The more sheen that you put on it, the more imperfections will show. Flat shows virtually no imperfections in the finish work at all. Okay. I, I think that's what I meant, flat, because there is no sheen whatsoever to it. Yeah, yeah, that would be chalk, flat. chalky looking, but okay, all right. All right, well, very good. I do appreciate it. You bet. Got an uh, email from Scotland in Farmersville, and he says, what is a good choice for the skirting of a block and base house? I have rusting corrugated metal that is only five years old. I would like something that will last at least 20 years. Well, and and, you know, sheet metal... Even 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 the galvanized sheet metal is not made for ground contact, so you you got to have something that's going to be durable, even being right there on the ground. Now the mistake a lot of times people make though with the skirting on a block and base is they put it on tight. the The crawl space has to be ventilated. For every 150 square foot of crawl space you have, you need one square foot of vent. And so just multiply your sizes out. That tells you how many vent openings you need to have and all this. But a material, there's no such thing as too much vent elation. So a uh, oh, lattice, you could use the plastic lattice. That would hold up. Uh, personally, I like to use James Hardy siding, the soffit material, because it's already got continuous holes in it. And so you can have a continuous band of of holes vent holes just like you would on your soffit going around the crawl space works great 
made of concrete, so ground contact's not an issue. It's just, uh, to me, the best way to, to take care of it. And so that's what I would take a look at. And it gives you a nice finished look when you have it on there. So, yeah, James Hardy siding would be the product I would take a look at. Robert, welcome to KTRH. Yes, How can I help you? Okay, um, I had a garage door opener installed uh, a few days ago. And uh, there's not a, a plug up there in the ceiling to plug it in to get power from. Mm -hmm. So the garage door guy told me I'm not an electrician. He said, you probably need to run a, a box over here. He said, I'll plug it in. So he ran an extension to it, and it works fine. Would it be okay for me to run an extension to it? It's about 10 to 12 feet away from a wall plug. You're talking about just running an extension cord? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, it's not on an extension cord. I'm just saying, is it okay to run it off of an extension cord? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll be honest with you. That's how I've got mine hooked up that way. Okay. Just make sure it's like 12 gauge or whatever. Yeah, just make sure it's heavy enough gauge. And, uh, you know, don't get one that's longer than you need. Get it to the, okay. to the length you need and uh, secure it, and you're, you'll be fine. Okay. All right. Thank you. You bet. Take care. And again, 713-212-5874. You know, a garage door opener itself doesn't pull tons of power. Uh, so, yeah, you can plug it into just a, a regular wall outlet and uh, it, it'll be fine. I've, I've got, I think, a 12-foot cord on mine. Uh, it just runs up the wall, across the ceiling to where I can plug it into the extension or to the cord that's on the uh, garage door opener itself. And it works just fine. So, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't lose any sleep over that at all. Bill, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Well, thank you. I've got an electrical problem I'd like to run past you. Okay. I've got the circuit isolated from the fuse uh, breaker box. I know which breaker it is. But I have a strange thing that if I just leave it as it is right now, when I turn on the light bulb in the bathroom next to the bedroom, it goes to 100%. But if I plug something in on the outlets that are in between the box and that outlet, mm -hmm. the bulb goes down to about 50%. And let's say if I plug in a space heater, I can tell that it's not doing full power because the glow is not in the grid. Right. I'm wondering if it might be a faulty breaker that can only handle up to so much voltage because the breaker is 30 years old. You know, what I was wondering is if there's a short in the system somewhere. And when, uh, you know, a light bulb doesn't take diddly for power. But when right. you start plugging in something like a space heater or something like that, um, it may be arcing across someplace where there's a loose connection. And that's why you're not getting full power. Now, that could okay. be in the breaker, the wires that hook into the breaker, or it could be any one of the plugs between the breaker and that light switch. Okay, because I've replaced both the plugs. Okay. And so I, those should be tight. Still there. Yeah, so I, the, then the next thing I would check would be to make sure that the screws are tight on the breaker itself. And if they are tight, 
then you may want to consider just pulling the wire, plugging it into another breaker just to check and see if that fixes it. And if it does, yeah, replace the breaker. All right. Thank you very much for your insight. Charlie, this is Jim. How can I help you? Uh, the new uh, type smart thermostat and furnace versus, yeah. versus the old kind, they, they cost a little more. Uh, does, does, it, does it really work? And I've heard there's some problems if uh, – if it, if it doesn't work, a lot of people don't know how to fix it. But could you kind of go over the plus and minus over the new type thermostat? Well, are you talking about like the uh, thermostats that connect on the internet to that can keep up with repair maintenance yes. and, and troubleshoot uh, no, the not, system? Not, not, not that connect on the internet, but uh, it's it's uh, the thermostat connects with uh, your heater and your cooler. And uh, if it somehow uh, can lower your heating cost, it optimizes uh, your your cooling. Okay. Say. Okay. Uh, you know, believe it or not, if you're putting in like the smart thermostats, um, yes, like, I'm not a fan. Straight up, uh, because they are monitoring when your system is on and not on and stuff, and some of those systems are making decisions that, okay, we're in peak usage time. Uh, you're trying to set yours to cool. We're not going to allow that. And I got a problem with that because I may be having guests over, and I want my house comfortable when my guests are there. Uh, I love programmable thermostats. I actually love some mm -hmm. of the systems that are available, uh, like through American Standard, where they have systems now that can be monitored off-site as far as troubleshooting when a problem occurs, things like that. I'm just not fond of the ones that say you have to run your temperature at X temperature. Uh, there's too much power being used right now. We're going to cut you off. I, I just, I have an mm -hmm. issue with that. But other than that, uh, yeah, the programmable thermostats and and uh, all that are great. And yes, they do help you lose, uh, lower your utility bills by being able to be adjusted for when you're home and not home and, and uh, sleeping habits and things like that. Okay, but the programmable, it sounds like you, you are uh, have more control over yes. it because you, you set up the program of uh, the other type. The, uh, the the smart ones are then making decisions. Uh, well, I, I, I'll, 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 exactly. own, I'll, yeah. I'll put it to you this way. Do you use a computer? Yes, I do. Okay. Do you like it when uh, Microsoft wants to do an update and, and keeps throwing a message up, or sometimes Apple will go ahead and, and do an upgrade and not give you the choice to take it? Oh, that's very annoying. <laughs> then you won't like a smart thermostat. Stick with okay. programmable. <laughs> okay. Sounds like good advice. All right. Take good. care. Ken, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Um, I have a pretty simple question, I think. A garage door opener just kind of all of a sudden stopped working, and I thought it might be the switch. I replaced the switch by the garage door. We do it all manual. We have we don't have the remote things. Okay. Um, but that didn't change anything, and I guess I just wonder, is there more to troubleshoot before I go to a big box store and buy a garage door opener, or should I just figure out that it's the the you know, the main unit or the motor or something has gone bad and well, take the plunge. This is a wired switch, isn't it? Yes, sir. 
Yeah, so basically I would go up by the unit itself, cross the wires, and, and see if the door operates that way. And if it doesn't, then, yeah, the motor's probably shot, and it's time for a new door opener. Okay, and is that a one-man kind of job, or, you know, do I need to get a handyman or a contractor in, or is that something I can do on my own? Uh, depends on your skill level. I mean, I've put them in myself, and, you know, I've done, and, and I've done it by myself. Did not have a good time doing it. <laughs> <laughs> seems like you need about three hands or something. It does right? seem that way. And, and honestly, what I have found is, especially on garage doors and, and openers and stuff, to hire somebody to do it is well worth the money compared to my time to do it. Uh, it it's just they are a real pain to put in and get get adjusted properly. And those guys do it yeah, in a matter but... of minutes. How to waterproof plywood sheets for outside use. She says, I'm planning to use 4 by 8 sheets of plywood on my patio under polycarbonate sheet roof. How to make plywood waterproof for longer life. What method do you recommend? Epoxy sealing, penetrating hard oil, uh, paint, or spray-on latex? What kind of product do you advise for outside? Thank you for your advice. Okay. You got a lot of the stuff that you just mentioned you can use. It all depends on if you're going to be looking at it or not looking at it on what you want to use. Paint is put on wood for water. You know, the the most of the wood that's on the outside of our homes is not treated lumber or anything else. It's just regular wood that gets painted. It starts rotting because we don't necessarily keep it painted like we should all the time. And once the paint starts cracking and getting moisture into it, you start getting wood deterioration. Uh, you could put um, Ready Seal on it. That is an oil product that soaks down into the wood and penetrates the wood and keeps it from absorbing moisture as well. So either one of those would work. Um, it, I, and I couldn't tell from your email, and this is why I prefer the calls come in, if you're concerned with the top side, if this is going to be, you know, facing up to where you're putting the panels or, you know, where you're putting these sheets exactly. But, yeah, any any one of these items can be put on to seal the wood. One cautionary note, do the edges as well, not just top and bottom, but the, the little edges. You know, I think you said you're using, uh, you didn't say, half inch or three-quarter inch plywood make sure to do the edges heavily that's the part that's missed very often and that's the part where the moisture gets in and starts delaminating the plywood so hopefully that'll help you out with that just a reminder it's a huge help if you subscribe to rate and review the podcast it helps people find us i have a dock over my pond that is four foot wide by 40 foot long with two side platforms the pond floods occasionally, resulting in the flooring material being submerged for hours at a time. The plywood I originally installed has deteriorated and broken up. Yeah, plywood will not submerge very well at all. Uh, even if you use marine-grade plywood, it doesn't do well if it's submerged. Okay, the framework is all angle iron. Cross-support spacing is 24 inches. Is there a material you would recommend for flooring other than metal that would survive submersion in water? 
treated lumber. The treated lumber will do fine. The biggest problem that you'll have is if you get wave action underneath deck boards on treated lumber, it, it can actually break them loose. But if it's just a pond, you're not going to be getting a lot of wave action. So, you know, the water, it'll submerge it and then let it come up and dry again. Definitely use some ready seal on it, though, to seal it so it's not absorbing all the water when it's submerged. And I would recommend that you put the ready seal on prior to installing it so you can put it on all sides of the board. Uh, because otherwise you're just getting the top side, which will help, but you might as well do all sides and, and not have to worry about it. Um, other than that, I mean, you can use a synthetic, but the problem is your spacing on your uh, supports is 24 inches. And on uh, the synthetics like Trex and all those, it requires 12 inch because it has no structural strength. Where if you use a two by six, it'll span that 24 inches with no problem. So that's the reason I would go with the uh, treated lumber and not have to worry about it. This one is regarding uh, AC water heater locations. It says, uh, hi Jim, thanks for the interesting and useful info you share. We have a nice house in a gated community. It is strictly modern in layout, which in many ways I think is stupid. I think the location of the AC and water heater way, way up in an attic, pretty much right over our TV, one of the really stupid things. Where would locate these things so they are easy to service and replace? Today, you recommended tankless. Could one of those be placed in a better place without replumbing the whole house? David in Houston. Well, yeah. if you're going to go with a tankless, actually, you can put it right where the tank is. And then you don't have to replumb anything. Uh, the servicing is really not that big a deal. It used to be on tankless water heaters. They wanted you to flush them once a year and do all this stuff. Most of them have done away with that now. Uh, you, you set them and forget them, basically. You're not having to do a bunch of maintenance on them. Uh, as far as, you know, if you were doing new where to set them, the closest to the pull-down staircase, the better. But once they're installed, I really wouldn't move them unless I had to. Uh, personally, I would take a look at the tankless, and, and for a couple reasons. One, on a tank-type water heater, if the tank leaks, and that's typically what happens that ruins a tankless, or tank-type water heater, rather, uh, is the tank gets leaks in it. Well, that's 30, 40 50 gallons, depending on the size water heater you have, and most homes have a 40 or 50 in them, that's going to be leaking out. That little drain pan underneath, unless it's just a slow leak, isn't going to handle it. Now, on a tankless, they typically have a water sensor on them that if it starts getting a drip, the water sensor reacts and shuts the water supply off to the tankless water heater. No leaks. No hot water either, but no leaks. Uh, you can get a sensor like that install on tank-type water heaters as well, but you still have that tank full of water that's got to leak out before it's done losing water. And so that's a big 
uh, benefit of a tankless, not to mention the fact that you got continuous flow of hot water. So uh, as far as moving an air conditioning system, you know, the things that you're going to be dealing with if you do that, you've got ductwork to move, you've got to return air uh, going from the house back into the unit to be recooled. Everything has to be moved. You get into a lot of expense in moving an AC unit up in an attic. And truthfully, that is the best place for them. Now, you can get closet units where you have them downstairs, uh, but usually it's less expensive and quieter if you leave them up in the attic. So, David in Houston, I hope that helps you out. Jim in Houston, I have replaced two of my toilets with the bottom-of-the-line ones from the big box stores. They work, but just barely. I want to replace the one I use. I need to clean the sides and have a larger bowl. Do I need to go out of state to get a toilet that really flushes like I'm used to? Jim, I hate to tell you this. You probably won't find one that flushes like you really want it to, like they used to do. The government has stepped in and regulates how much water we can use in our toilet. And therefore... We have all restricted flow toilets nowadays. Now, it's not as bad in some areas as others, but in general, you're going to have a hard time finding the old flow type. If you're wanting one like you just described, um, there, there's several brands to be looking at. American Standard has one that uses a pressurized tank that does a great job, uh, as well as Kohler has some toilets that will do you great. They, they're still low flow yet they have uh, enough where it f flushes everything out on the first time. Now, I know what you're talking about. You get those little, those cheapy toilets and it just doesn't flow right in. Here's a big difference, the reason some of that happens. Uh, a toilet, if you look at the side of it, has that S-trap that's laid on its side. If they don't use the glazing all the way up in through there, stuff will tend to slow and hang a little bit. Cheaper toilets do that. The more expensive toilets have it flow all the way through. The, the glazing does. Uh, another high-end toilet, and this is the highest end, is a Toto. Uh, I don't think you probably need to go that high, but I would probably stick with uh, Kohler, American Standard, uh, even Delta has some some nice toilets out. So uh, those are the, the ones I would probably stick with if, uh, if I was you. I will tell you, when I replaced the ones in my house, I went with Kohler. This comes from uh, Wes in Richardson. Jim, our hot water takes a long time to reach our kitchen faucet. I'd guess we waste a half to a gallon of water waiting on hot water to arrive. Would you recommend an under-the-counter hot water heater to supplement the hot water only until the hot water heater reaches the kitchen. What brands would you recommend? What size capacity? We already have electricity under the sink. Is this an easy screw-together connection installation, or do I need a plumber to sweat the fittings? Thanks as always. You do a great job, and we listen most every Saturday. Keep up the good work. Well, Wes, here's what I would recommend. Well, you got choices. You can go with a small tank, like a 5 or 10 gallon, to give you just 
instant hot water underneath, or in order to save space and e actually ease of installation, you can go with a tankless under there. They have, uh, you know, point of use tankless water heaters that plug into 110. You could put one of those underneath there, and what will happen is once the hot water from the regular water heater reaches it, it shuts off. And so, you know, but if, say, your water heater goes out, you got a continuous flow of hot water still from that little tankless. They, they, and that's going to be your easiest installation and probably most cost-effective way to do it. The tank system works great, but it uses up the space under the sink. So, yeah, you're headed down the right road. I will tell you, though, uh, a, a half to one gallon doesn't take very long to, to get the hot water to your faucet if that's all you're using. Uh, you know, when you consider that in most cases, in a minute, the sink's going to put out two to four gallons. So just kind of give you a, a heads up. It's probably using more water than you think it is. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.